Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. From building chemical compounds to designing Martian robots, spatial cognitive skills are a crucial part of many STEM careers. Today, our guest, Scott Trailer will share how we can foster spatial skills in young kids and adults too. Scott Trailer has been leading teams to create award-winning EdTech products most of his adult life, be it apps, websites, handheld games, or robots. He has a long history of developing consumer and classroom experiences that delight and engage children everywhere. Scott is also a former computer science educator at Harvard for over a decade, with a focus on helping others learn how to create successful technology products for kids. Thanks so much for joining our podcast, Scott. Thanks so much for having me, Charlotte. Excited to be here. All right. Now, I usually like to start the interview with a basic question. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? I used to have a lot of art classes in my high school years. In fact, I would take as many as I could. I love computers and programming. And in those days, that wasn't so abundant as taking a lot of art classes. But I had a fabulous art teacher that I remember if you didn't draw it right, he would just step in and draw it for you right on top. And I was like, okay, well, that's a way to do it. But then if you were late to class, he would take off a shoe and throw it at you. So that I would remember that. And I think fondly of him even to this day. He definitely sounds memorable for sure. <laughs> he was quite a character and taught me how to be bold, you know, and not be afraid, especially if it sometimes requires throwing a shoe. <laughs> now, from there, how did you become interested in spatial cognitive research? Oh, well, it's interesting. There's a little bit of a journey that ends with an SAT exam that I took in my junior year of high school. Let me start off by saying I had this memory that came to me just before our call. When I was young, my parents had this one small bathroom in a small house that had this really outdated checkered tile. But I remember looking at it thinking like, oh, in my mind as I'm, you know, in the bathroom, I go like, oh, I can make little combinations of these squares to do things. And then sometimes you stare at it long enough, they tessellate. And what I didn't realize was that, you know, being interested in art, I was also interested in grid systems, which kind of call back to this tiling. And I, I sometimes wonder, oh, well, is that why I was so into grids when I started learning to make creations and stuff like that? But anyway, as I mentioned, fast forward to sitting in a large cafeteria hall, taking the SAT as a junior in high school, there was this question on the test, like, here's a flattened net. A net is like a six cube layout that can fold up into a 3D object. And they said, here are some items on each side. If you fold it up, what would it look like? And I thought, wait a minute, why do they have this on the exam? I mean, what class was that that I was supposed to take to learn this, right? And it's stuck in my head for forever because I found it so odd that it was a question. Like, I'd never seen it before. Well, what's really funny is fast forward from that day, I had stumbled upon a test that was filled with those cube net questions, and sometimes they're used for cognitive assessment. Sometimes they're used in like a paperback puzzle books. And so I started seeing them more and more. And I realized, wow, this is that thing from back in high school. Why don't I dig in? And as I did, I discovered that not only is this a thing, like it can be referred to as paper folding or mental paper folding 
or mental rotations, but all of a sudden it unlocked this entire field of facial cognition for me where that is one part of it, but it's one that really caught my attention and got me excited about like, wow, why don't we do anything with this? How good is this? What is it for? What can I turn it into? And that was the beginnings of a lot of thinking around spatial learning and spatial products and what is the benefit of it towards STEM, towards just everyday life. And there's a bit of the journey, even to this day. Now, I think you mentioned that you ended up applying for a product competition after you got interested in this field. Oh, yeah. The Joan Gans Cooney Center, which is part of Sesame Workshop, is this related research think tank group in New York. And in the very early years of that organization, they had a STEM competition to come up with new product ideas, almost all of them digital. And so I came up with this idea of, I called it blockheads, which was basically a spatial game of paper folding into cubes and recognizing the differences between the sides of what would fold and what wouldn't. And if it's on this side, this way, and you rotate it a particular way, what does it look like then? And, you know, I felt really excited about it. It was one of those things too, a lot like South by Southwest, where you have to get people to vote on it and, you know, use your social capital to promote it. And I did well socially with a lot of loving online, but I didn't place, I didn't win. And that was okay. It was about just developing an idea, but I also got notes back. And I remember the judges not understanding what it means. And this is common in trying to explain the benefits of spatial understanding that they weren't familiar with the research. They weren't familiar with the body of work that talks about this is a great thing to do in learning that few to no classrooms do around the globe. There is no spatial curriculum. And in fact, there is enough research out there to suggest that spatial understanding may be more important to learn first before numeracy in early learning. But that's not the way things are taught. You know, it's all about math or reading and writing. And those are two halves of a learning experience that tend to be easier to assess. But the largest, bigger missing component of that circle of those two parts is spatial learning. And yeah, it'll take us a while before we ever see it in a classroom, I'm afraid. Right. Now, for everyone out there, could you define what counts as spatial learning? For example, you said the net cubes. I'm thinking of origami instructions. Well, it is funny. Origami does fall in there. It's a bit more of an advanced exercise to do. But, you know, there's a handful of domains in the spatial world. One of them, a big one related to STEM and STEM success is mental rotations. The ability to take, you know, a 3D object, and it could be a 2D object in your mind and be able to rotate it and see it from different positions or different angles and so forth like that. So mental rotations is big. Another one is wayfinding where you may be, you know, reading a map and trying to get from point A to point B and understanding how to do that. Another thing is perspective taking, your ability to say like, oh, there's a hill way over there. I wonder what it looks like. Let me try to picture myself on that hill. What does it look like around me? And there's a really fantastic story about Einstein's time-space continuum, which was all based upon perspective taking if he was to ride on a beam of light. And it's believed that Einstein had huge spatial abilities because of such exercises and playing around like that as he did. Scaling is another thing. And there's a, a lesser studied 
area of the spatial domain, you know, mental cutting, where let's say you have a 3D object and you need to figure out what it looks like if you cut it a particular way, what does that slice look like? You could do it with a block, you could do it with a sphere, but let's just say it was a piston, you know, a car piston, and you were going to cut it. What would that look like? Or any kind of odd shaped item. It sounds like there's a wide variety of skills just within spatial learning. There are, they, they fall into a two by two grid largely, but there are some that, you know, I'm not a scholar on this. I just read a lot of research. You know, I don't have my PhD. This is an area that I've often thought about. If I was to go back to school, I would, but it's like, well, how would I make a living after that? That's, (laughs) that's kind of the challenge, but there is kind of a, a two by two grid. I've been calling it like a unification guide to the field of spatial understanding where objects are either static or dynamic, and they're either intrinsic or extrinsic. Static means, you know, they're not moving. Dynamic means they are moving. Intrinsic may mean something that you think about internally. Extrinsics are things that you do in the outside world. And that is a good basis to kind of draw many things together in the spatial world. Yeah, I appreciate that. And about the piece we were saying, oh, how could I make a living? Now, for those out there, why should we care about spatial learning? How can it help a kid's success in potential STEM careers in the future? Excellent question. And it's one I wish more teachers were aware of, truly. It is kind of a a neglected element of the whole learning experience that can start very, very early on. But it's never too late to learn. Even adults who don't have strong spatial skills can improve them. There are a number of studies that have been done, and there's one in particular that I'll cite. I mean, I could mention many of them, but there was one that came out that many people in the spatial fields point to as a seminal work that came out in 2009. It's called Spatial Ability for STEM Domains, and it's done by Wei, Lubinsky, and Benbo. And I return to it constantly. What it is, is a study, a longitudinal study, 50 years, looking at 400,000 students I believe starting in high school, so going back like 50 years, and then tracking these students over time. They were tested in math and in reading and in spatial ability. And where did they go? What did they do? How did they perform? And one of the interesting outcomes of that study is most of the students who are successful in STEM careers had strong math and literacy skills. But the ones that were stellar, the ones who invented more, the ones that filed more patents, the ones who started businesses had spatial abilities that were above and beyond just your average individual. And once that study came out, there are a number of others that have a smaller pool of people that they draw from in the study, but they tend to find the same outcomes. That if you're able to manipulate objects in your mind, that's one of the big ones. There's some mechanical reasoning in there too, with some of the studies can do very, very well in a STEM career. Now, the study also points out in other articles that have been out that reference this study, talk about all of the talent in the US that we're missing that could go to college to be an engineer, that could be a biologist, it could be a chemist, that could be a mathematician, because we don't assess spatial abilities in school. And If we're a nation that tends to be crying about, we don't have enough scientists, we don't have enough engineers, what are we going to do? Our schools are failing us. It's like, well, why don't you think about creating some spatial curriculum to help get people excited or at very least improve their abilities so that they have the cognitive strength 
to go into these disciplines. I wholeheartedly agree. My husband really struggled in school. He's one of the strongest spatial people I know. He can pack a car like nobody else, right? (laughs) That is a skill. That is a spatial skill. Right. And he works on cars and all sorts of things, but like the math and the reading, the way it was taught in a dry static way, instead of like you said, the intrinsic way of learning really turned him off. And so it's almost like you're, like you said, you're losing out on an entire population who might not be that excited about math and reading, but they're super jazzed about spatial learning and spatial projects. Right. Yeah. And it can be a lot of fun. And I find it so strange that it's not embraced because I think if, people were to approach developing products for classroom use, that this would be an area, at least you know, in K-12, that would be a lot of fun. There are special programs. For example, there's a, a spatial researcher by the name of Cheryl Sorby, who used to teach at, I think it's Michigan Tech. I'm not sure if it's college or university. And she noticed freshman year, a lot of engineers would drop out. And even more women who applied in their freshman year for engineering would drop out at a greater rate. So she thought, what could I do to try to keep these students from dropping out? And she created a spatial program that was largely about, you know, orthographic drawing and be able to see objects in different views, largely through drawing. But through the practice of doing that, you know, your mental abilities to rotate items become stronger and stronger. And after she had developed this program, which took quite some time to create, now it's a requirement for all freshmen. They have to go through this 10-week training period. And the result is not only do less people drop out, but women who are studying to be engineers drop out less because there are gender related issues in the discussion about spatial abilities. There are a number of studies out there that show that women have less strength in spatial cognitive abilities than men, but it's not a gender thing at all. It's an access thing. If you have access to these tools or these experiences, there is no learning loss, if you will, by gender. Everybody tests roughly around the same with the same equal access to these materials. And it sounds like the earlier we start, the better off they're going to be. So how early can kids start working on their spatial abilities? You know, I had never thought about this before, and I don't have a good answer for you. I have some interesting anecdotal observations. The youngest spatial test that's out there right now is called the TOSA, T-O-S-A, which was developed by Kathy Hirsch-Pasek and Roberta Galinkoff. They're big play learning, learning playful people, but they're also big spatial people too. And I believe Brian Verdine was part of that as well, and maybe one other. But what it is, is a simple test for three-year-olds to put Lego pieces together. And based upon, you know, they'll show an example and say, can you create this? And starts with two blocks, and then it goes to three, and then it goes, I think, as high as five. And you have to recreate this picture, right? Which draws upon a lot of spatial abilities and like, wait a minute, what does that look like? Do I have it on the right peg? And three-year-olds who are successful at putting these Lego pieces together, they found that it's 80% accurate to show math success by fifth grade with this three-year-old test. Now, I don't know of any other tests that go younger than that, but I've thought about, you know, if you imagine a baby in a high chair and I've heard the stories of like, well, why do they keep throwing off their spoon or the bowl off of their high chair? And some people say, well, they're learning about gravity, you know, or they're learning about fine motor coordination with their arms or hands. 
But I sometimes wonder, like, well, wait a minute, maybe there's an element there understanding about perspective and environment and, you know, distance, which touch on spatial learning. But this is where I, I know just enough to be dangerous. I don't know how true that is related to spatial learning. But in the early years, providing certain kind of toys and activities can help increase, you know, young children's spatial abilities. I have this one observation I don't share too often. My sister and I had access to the same toys when I was little, and I'm just a couple of years older than she is. And I had a lot of, you know, erector set kind of stuff. I had Tangram activities, Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys, and I can't remember Legos or not, but what's interesting is that she went on to become an optical engineer and she got her PhD in engineering. And I haven't even had this conversation with her to say like, just providing that access, I think allowed her own spatial abilities to really thrive, to go into an engineering career where she is like, you know, one of two women in her field who specialize in optical engineering. And the rest is like, you know, hundreds of men. And it's like, I can't ignore the fact that she had access to all these, these construction toys when she was little that probably helped her career we value that so much at our house my three-year-old talking about the tosa there is just yeah. loves legos right we have yeah. magnet tiles we have these marble tower mazes and yeah. she's always like diving through those and combining them and i just love seeing what she creates but it's so reassuring to hear that that might lead to stronger spatial skills what are some other strategies that either parents or teachers could try to foster spatial learning in their students. Aside from products, there's one big thing that all parents and teachers could do is be very aware of spatial language and using it. For example, you could say to a child, your child in a kitchen, oh, where's that cup? Is it behind the pot? Oh no, it's in front of the pot. Oh, maybe it's next to the pot, but where's my pot holder? Is it underneath the pot? Should it be above it? You know, being very aware of positioning language is one great way to help strengthen early spatial understanding that most people never think about. And again, that's helpful at any age. And there are a handful of studies out there that look at parents that use that language and compare it with other parents that don't. And they notice a big difference in their children regards to spatial ability. We sort of see that in our coding curriculum too, when they're thinking yes. about algorithms, one of the more popular activities is write an instruction of how to build a sandwich, right? Yes. And yep. thinking about placement and relation and things like that makes them think yeah. about the steps of an algorithm. That's a great one. And I even remember that when I was in fourth grade and doing that and watching other people, you know, they're reading from the paper, take the peanut butter and put it on the bread. And the teacher takes the jar of peanut butter and puts it on the bread, right? Very literal. But that is a good exercise to think about those words, you know, jelly on top of, uh, knife into, you know, that's the language that you're looking for. Now, how can ed tech play a role in helping kids practice spatial cognitive skills? So far, we've talked about Legos and yeah. things that we're holding and things that are in the physical world. But what can ed tech do? Well, there are a number of products out there today, you know, a lot of apps, Sadly, some that are aging that haven't been updated. I can start off by saying, you know, navigation through Minecraft and Roblox is part of that. There are probably other spatial benefits as well. 
This is also an area that is largely lacking in research for those two products. I just wish somebody had, you know, a massive study going on during the pandemic, pre and post, or those that use it and those that don't, and just compare their spatial abilities. And many other spatial researchers wish for it as well. But we don't have that. And there have even been, you know, years ago in the consumer space, you may remember, like for the Nintendo DS, there was a popular brain game called Brain Age. And there was another one called Big Brain Academy. They're filled with spatial games. But those are all home consumer, not necessarily classroom kind of activities. But there are other ones. And I could throw out some names. I have a sheet here of app-based products and physical products, either for early learning or for older children and students. One of my favorites is called Relationships by a company that's called Vizu Vizu. And what most people don't know is Vizu Vizu is an offshoot of Brain Pop, which most people know Brain Pop, most educators. The sad thing is they closed down this division of their company a few years ago. You can still get the app, but I'm worried that it's going to disappear. It's one of the best spatial examples of ed tech out there. PBS also developed one for their Cyber Chase series called 3D Builder. That was out a long time ago. It's still in the app store. And these are iOS apps. Forgive me, I didn't check beforehand about the Android side. In terms of programming and sequential thinking, you'd probably know Lightbot and Lightbot Jr. You know, there is a spatial element to how you solve those puzzles through code. There's a really fun one for younger kids called Foldify by a company called Pixel, P-I-X-L-E, where you're presented with a flat 2D net that you can color on and put eyes on it and everything. And then you can print it out, cut it out and fold it up and see what it looks like all put together. And I just discovered recently they have many more apps, you know, some that are like animals that you cut out that you fold a little more origami-like, but they all tend to be about 2D nets folded into 3D objects. And I have a number of other things too. Gosh, there was one that I can't find it anymore. It's called Crafty Cut, where you're taking 3D objects like rocks that have been polished or edged and you have to cut it and now pick from an assortment of what does it look like when you cut it on the inside. Sadly, that one is not being kept up and I think is out of the store, but it was one of the only examples of mental cutting in a product that I've ever seen that was fantastic. But with everything I'm telling you, we're talking about at most maybe 10, 12 different products in the app world. There are some other ones that claim to have a lot of good spatial you know, learning from them, but I'm skeptical of them. Anyway, those are just some ed tech products off the top of my head. I would love to see many more. And I imagine if, you know, schools of teacher training were just familiar with the concept of spatial learning, that we would probably see a lot more ed tech products in this space. I agree. And also the fact that there's research out there already showing the benefits, you know, it's just, it's almost like a category that's ripe for growth. Oh, so true. Yeah. And NSF is starting to fund spatial research more in product development which is both formally and informally, that's very new. I mean, like only a few years old. Well, the mental cutting piece reminded me even in like cooking and baking. Yeah. This whole idea, like I love watching those candy making videos. Yes. And there's the whole art of creating candy that when you slice the candy, it creates an image 
or if you slice like a cookie dough. That's perfect. Perfect example. And I'm thinking, why not make an app where you're a baker and you're doing mental cutting? There's just so much opportunity there, right? That almost sounds like a motion math app that those folks should make. I think Curriculum Associates owns them now, but that's the perfect kind of thing they would do, you know? Yeah. Oh, and there's just one other I'll mention that's called Spatial Kids by a company called eGrove Education out of San Diego. This is more for older kids, but it's fantastic. I don't know this for a fact, but it feels like it's made by educators that really get it, you know? So I just want to give them a shout out that they've got a pretty hot product. Awesome. We'll definitely leave the links in the episode description so you all can check out what Scott's recommending. Now let's look into the future, right? How could spatial learning impact the future of ed tech, especially if we start caring about it, right? Once teachers and colleges understand the importance of this in a neglected domain of education for forever, things would change. And, you know, I I sometimes go to conferences where they're more craft boutique app developers and software developers who care about education. And many of them are aware of this, that this is a thing, but many of them don't know either how to begin or they're unfamiliar with the research and the science behind it. And so there's a hesitancy to not do it right. And it's, that's just a hurdle to overcome from an ed tech developer perspective. You just got to dig in, put some things on paper and see what works and, you know, call in a spatial expert. And what is funny, you know, I think I even told you this when we first met long ago, that if you start talking about anything spatial, that's my hot button and I'll keep on going and I'll ramble on for days on end. Well, I'm not the only one because other people who are familiar with the power of spatial learning, that's their hot button as well. So if you can find those folks out there and they don't have to be PhD credentialed, though that certainly does help, you will see that it's the never ending fountain of exciting things to research. Oh, another product that you might be familiar with that's by the Mind Research Institute out of Irvine. They have a product called ST Math, where it's basically a penguin, you know, walking on number lines and trying to get over obstacles. And it's really cute. It's really simple and straightforward. It's all based on spatial learning. And, you know, I haven't talked to these people enough, but I do know the research that I hear behind their work is pretty impressive about how they're able to move the needle with math learning through spatial exercises. Right. I think people also forget that you can easily integrate spatial learning into other subjects that you're already teaching, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I think I'm trying to remember the website. I want to say it's like foldit.com or .org where it's for, you know, nerdy scientists who like enzymes. And I guess the way you make new drug compounds is that you need to fold enzymes in particular ways. And so it's a website that challenges you with different problems, chemical problems, drug problems, that you experiment by folding enzymes to try to solve the problem. And apparently like some real breakthroughs have come out of this game, this website, just to give you an idea that, I mean, this, this, there's so much that's yet to be we barely scratched the surface of our understanding with this. Yeah. And it sounds like it's a great contender for citizen science where people can contribute exactly. to science experiments yes. and which is so much growth and advancement in a lot of different fields. Yep. Or, or here's one, you know, when one of the last NASA missions went to Mars and you remember when the parachute, when they're coming down onto Mars and they got a photo of it and they had an encrypted puzzle message into the parachute, which kept people excited for days to try to figure out what it was. 
Well, another story behind that parachute is it takes someone with extreme spatial abilities to fold that parachute so that it opens in particular ways without ripping. And I thought I came across an article that talked about the research and just folding that parachute and how many months, if not years, it took to get it right for their mission. Well, I keep bringing it back to origami because I was a huge origami fan exactly. as a kid. Yep. They consulted with origami specialists on that parachute too. I believe it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And same for, what is it? The new uh, telescope that's out there, that amazing telescope and how it had to unfold all those light blocking panels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it almost sounds like spatial learning is going to be even more relevant in the future just because of the needs of future tech. Yep. I, I, I imagine so. I imagine so. Yeah. Now, what advice would you give to someone who is interested in integrating spatial learning into their curriculum or learning experience? You know, they're excited. They're hearing about how important it is. What's that first step that they can take? Well, it could be a baby step. You know, think about bringing a physical product into your classroom, or it could be digital, depending on how you feel about that. You know, if you're in early learning settings, certainly there are lots of Montessori materials that are very based in tangible physical product that you can manipulate. I haven't seen much research about mental rotations and Montessori materials, though I see a connection. I also see a lot of thoughtful toy developers. For example, there's a company called Ali Express, A-L-I Express. They have these beautiful boards of block puzzles that you need to fit you know, and they're meant for like three to five-year-olds and they're really beautiful and fantastic. And occasionally you'll start to see things from like Melissa and Doug, you know, if you follow the toy world, everyone's in love with what Melissa and Doug does, but some of their stuff has a lot of spatial learning behind it. So those are, you know, some simple things for early learning grades that you could bring in, but there are also for older kids, you know, whether this might be, you know, after school learning or clubs or whatnot, for example, you introduced me to Dogpile. Do you remember that by Brainwright? Oh, Brainwright has the best spatial learning they really games do. and toys. They've got great, great stuff. Another one that's very much on the origami side is a game called Manifold by GameRight, where you're given the target of it's almost like all you're getting is a pad of post-it notes with some lines drawn on it. And then on the back, I think it shows, you know, what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like when you're done. And you need to figure it out how to fold it to get it to there. There's a hundred puzzles and it'll keep you busy for weeks. Yeah. I want to try that. <laughs> it's very cool. There's another one about, like I mentioned, there's rotation of 2D objects. GameRite also has a product called On the Spot, where it's a bunch of these transparent cards with dots on it. And they tell you the end result that you need to get by putting multiple layers together. But then, you know, oh, that doesn't look right. And which one do I have to rotate and on the stack? And, you know, so you're thinking, you know, deep into multiple stacks of content that are all transparent. Like, how do I turn that all around and get it just right so I win this thing? It also makes me realize the world of board games and Scott is aware. We have a wall of board games in our house. <laughs> you are you are the master there. That, exactly. And Board games I've found just almost intrinsically have some spatial learning, but like you said, even games like BrainWrite, they almost lean into it because of that physicality and the puzzle oh, yeah. making of it. Yep. Very true. Very true. It, and while there are some games that are accidentally spatial and have accidental spatial benefits, there are some that are very intentional and almost model like, you know, a cognitive test that are still fun to play. Exactly. And I think the whole idea of 
spatial learning can be fun. It can make even other subject matters more engaging. Like, I don't see why you wouldn't try it at home yeah. or in the classroom. I mean, you, you could bring it into an English class. Really? What? Okay. What are some ideas? What would you do in an English class? Well, I mean, it's all about language and positioning. You know, maybe you turn it into, oh gosh, you know, it's a treasure hunt story, you know, or, you know, like what are those, I forget the right name of those rooms where you get a bunch of people together and you're locked in and you need to figure out how to. Oh, escape rooms. Escape yes. Room. <laughs> There's a lot of language that goes on there too, you know, but why not? I mean, it doesn't have to be you know, only used in math and science classrooms. I mean, why not art classrooms? Why not? Why not English? Athletes who really exceed in their craft have really strong spatial awareness. Dancers have very strong spatial abilities. So, you know, it's not just all about STEM. And it's almost like there's so many opportunities to develop it for anyone, regardless of their interests too. True. Yeah. Well, I'm walking away really inspired. So Scott, thanks so much for being on our podcast. And I hope everyone out there go home and try out some spatial learning puzzles with your kid or with yourself, because this is clearly a muscle that we can all exercise. And you can learn at any age. You can improve your abilities anytime. Exactly. Today is a great day to start. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much, Charlotte. No, thank you. Enjoyed the time together. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.